your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to read a synopsis, which probably sucks. <laughs> I'm sure. <it> <laughs> Actually. <laughs> 2D. The Flat Frontier. These are the voyages of the Pancake Enterprise. It's rotoscoped mission. To repeat the same animation and music. To transcend the limitations of 70s animation. To go boldly where no cartoon has gone before. Toon Trek, based upon Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry. Starring Paul Spataro. Also starring Dave Pascarella. With Bill Robinson. And Andrew Leyland as Andy. Production assistants. J. David Wheater. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Toon Trek. <laughs> Sorry. I can get a laugh like, just with it. Sounded like, you sounded like the girl from The Simpsons. Hey, everybody. <laughs> oh, it's Dr. Nick. Hi, everybody. Hi. It's Dr. Oh, Nick. Hold on. Let me try this again. <laughs> oh, no. I want to keep that. Yeah, we're keeping that. <clears throat> Hi everybody and welcome to Toon Trek, the ongoing voyages of the Listen to the Prophets crew. I'm David Pascarella, the useless Commodore who will complain a lot and endanger the mission. I'm joined by our commanding officer, Captain Spall Captain Paul Spataro. Hello. Uh, our I didn't even know commander. I was the commanding officer. You on this episode, you are the commanding officer. Spall Pataro sounds like a Star Wars character. Yes. <laughs> I think he's better than Paul Stahl. <laughs> Our chief medical officer, of course, Dr. Bill Robinson. I say, old boy, is that your colon? Our first officer and science officer, Sir Andrew Leyland. That is illogical. And our ever-present, even when he's not here, our chief engineer, J. David Weeder. You can usually find me down and below, or I could be the ensign that pops up on shift conveniently to give exposition. So you either go down or you pop up? Indeed. <laughs> on a good day. <laughs> He's in the gifted program. Well, he's better than Batman. Yeah, I was going to make the joke, too, so I'm glad you did, Andy. You know, so, I, could get well, you, I could get you a pill for that, just saying. I am a doctor. Wouldn't it be like a hypo spray? I'd, I'd rather you just come to my quarters with the whiskey, if that's all the same with you. <laughs> Wait, where's this I'd going? Because I'd rather talk to my bartender than my doctor. Yeah, why not? Is there yeah, any news? Um, uh, cues uh, in Picard. Did we know that? Yes. Oh, okay. So that's not news. Um, um. Oh, there was a trailer. Did we talk about that? I have not seen a trailer. There is a trailer for season two of Picard. Yep, that happened after after we recorded, so we have not talked about that. All right. Okay. Jerry Ryan is not a Borg in this trailer. So Q was screwed up with time in somewhere and I guess we've got to fix it 
because in every other iteration of Star Trek that isn't J.J. Abrams' films, we fix anomalies in the timeline. Looks into camera. (laughs) But maybe this time we'll let him delete some stuff and make the program even better. Or, or, here's a wacky idea, maybe he'll go back in time and completely erase the J.J. ones apart from Star Trek Beyond, which was really good. Wait, there's a camera on me right now? Yes, there's always a camera on you. I I'm watching. You don't I know where. Some. You don't know when. But I'm the. I'm watching. I'm always watching. <laughs> and we're used to you not having pants on. Oh, okay. Never mind then. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. I don't know I, I, if anybody's listening to it, but and by the time this comes out, that it'll be completed. Uh, Gates McFadden has a podcast because everybody has a podcast called Inve- uh, Gates McFadden Investigates Who Do You Think You Are? And she has various Star Trek personalities uh, on, and they just they shoot the breeze. So far, she's had Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spiner, Will Wheaton, and Nana Visitor. And Nana Visitor's... Um, I'm trying to think of a good way to say this. Her visit was very revealing. And very... But it's it was, audio, dude. No, it's... Uh, about a life experience, and I don't want to put it on here just because I don't want to put a content warning, but she had an experience that I didn't know about until I listened to this, and it was it puts a whole new light on her. I'm, I'm very impressed think, with her. I think, you know, based because we discussed this the other day, I haven't listened yet, but uh, I think you can say she, she was apparently sexually assaulted. I don't think that's something that you can't say in a uh, you mm. know, family show. You know, we're not getting graphic. No. But it was it was a very and, and Gates McFadden had to have her back to kind of follow up because she was just gobsmacked at just the strength the woman had. The non visitor. I am looking for that now in my podcast app of choice. Yep. As it as am I. I like Gates McFadden. I always thought she got a I don't know. I I don't want to say a bad rap, but she seems like, you know I had no problems with her. I, and I know she left for the one season and Really yeah, she left things. for the one season because Morris Hurley was a massive sexist pig who tried it on with her, allegedly. I have to say allegedly, apparently. It's funny, I found it on my phone, and I can play the latest episode, but I cannot subscribe to the show. Well, I just hit subscribe, and it came up. It if doesn't have subscribe as an option. For that's me. because Apple Podcast is broken. Is it is is that why? So, well, oh wait, this, I'm totally getting off topic off the yeah, show. But, that, that that's in reference to things we talked about like a week ago when I was like, I can see this, but not that, and this does come up, and this does this. Ah, technology. I'm old. I'm confused. That sounds like it sounds like intimacy problems, Bill. <laughs> I'm down with any podcast that. that discusses the spy skills instead of Star Trek. So um, I'll subscribe to that. Look, Dave, just because it's my birthday, back off, man. <laughs> You'll be old one day, too, Weeder. Is that from when I'm 64? <laughs> <laughs> but that that's the only thing I know of going on. Oh, and she's married. Seven of nine, he's married in that trail. Oh, yeah, there was a ring. I didn't even... <laughs> I like how we circled back to that. Hey, we're professionals, dude. Nothing goes unnoticed. Being professionals, we might as well discuss our topic of the day. (laughs) Yes. Okay. This week's episode, Season 1, Episode 9, Once Upon a Planet. 
which was directed by Hal Sutherland, written by Chuck Menville and Len Jansen. The original air date was November 3, 1973. The Federation Starship Enterprise crew revisits a fondly remembered amusement park planet from the episode Surely, hoping for some rest and relaxation. However, shortly after the landing, Dr. McCoy is attacked by the Queen of Hearts. And it really smarts. Sorry. Juice Newton for the win. The Queen of Hearts. (laughs) And Lieutenant O'Hara is captured by the planet's master computer, who has come to resent being made to serve others, and seeks to use the Enterprise to travel the galaxy in search of other computers. To this end, it takes control of the Enterprise computer and starts manipulating the ship's systems. Searching for Ahura, landing party discovers the grave of the planet's caretaker, who had overseen operations of the facility. The unintended machine, the untended machinery, is constructing dangerous images from the crew members' thoughts and its own imagination. Recalling how the planet took care of McCoy after his fatal injury in shore leave, Spock has sent Spock has McCoy inject him with Melanex. I, I always thought that was to help you go when you were constipated, but apparently not. To create the semblance of injury and thus prompt the planet's automated systems to bring him into the underground complex. Captain Kirk follows him in. Is Motley in the room? No, I was sorry. Go ahead. Jump Sorry in. to interrupt you, David. I just couldn't let that go. <laughs> so Dr. McCoy gives Spock Maylox and makes him crap his pants. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I've you know. Uh, and they wind up cleaning much more of the planet than they initially intended. Uh. After interviewing the angry computer, Kirk persuades it that its notion of servitude is simplistic by revealing that, contrary to its assumption, they are not slaves of the Enterprise. He convinces it that its best course is to resume business as usual, as it will be rewarded with social contact by by the many guests attracted by the planet's facilities and can in time learn everything it could possibly want to without leaving its home. The end. And somebody get down here and clean up all this Vulcan crap. <laughs> Why is it green? Ew. Pl- Plumex soup. <laughs> <laughs> They're like Klingons. They have, they have a redundant colon. <laughs> <laughs> when they say Spock is full of, he is full of. <laughs> what we think of this gentleman? I was confused. It's a twenty-five well, minute cartoon. <laughs> no, because at first the computer's like, "I'm saving you because you're slaves to the sky ship, to the ship." Oh, right, right. And yeah, so I mean, like, wait a minute, you just you what? what? I mean, that wasn't addressed in the. Uh, 
right? I didn't. I'm not the only one to cut that at first. It's like they kind of right. changed their whole premise. I mean, I went with it. It was like, okay, all right. See, I, I think you know, we, we make fun of you, Bill, because we can. But your point is well taken. Uh, you know, when we're when we're looking at Star Trek, whether even if it's in an animated cartoon, you know, animated cartoon is a little redundant. Uh, even if it's in an animated form, uh, and you know, aired at a time where it's going for children, we are looking for a little bit more of an intelligent narrative from it. Mm, so when when they give you contradicting, you know, points coming out in the same episode, uh, you know, it it is troublesome. And and you sit there and you say, you know, it's twenty five minutes. At least be consistent for twenty five minutes. So, you know, in that respect, I do think that that you you know you have a good point that you know the the story is not written in a really well-constructed fashion. I got a point right on You got a head. point. Yes. Ding. If you wear a hat, no one will notice. You don't have to have a point to have a point. But I, uh, I mean, I, I try to look at these episodes now and go beyond the animation and go beyond the, uh, the voice acting. You know, we, we do have the original actors in there, but you know, a lot of times they seem very flat in their uh, presentation. So I have to kind of go beyond that and really just kind of look to the story. And I do like the aspect when they start digging into stuff that you could even see, you know, in the original series and in the sequel series, uh, where they they go into things that that are thought provoking. And again, now we have another artificial intelligence that has developed sentience and kind of has made its feelings known and I, I do feel you know that that's that's a really heady concept when you when you look at it correctly and they just, just kind of gloss it over oh but you could you could enjoy serving others oh okay <laughs> you know it's just kind of you know they have to come to a quick, quick conclusion on it but if you get beyond the quick conclusion and and you know all of that, I, I do think they, they are giving us a little something that I could see them exploring on the real the real series, the live action series, uh, and and I like that. You know, they, they're taking these prior episodes, and I've always said I'm a sucker for sequels uh, more so than a lot of people. A lot of people sit there and they say, "Oh, I don't want a sequel because it's going to taint the image of the original." To me, uh, to me, it's if I like something, I want more of it. So sequels work out well with me. Um, and this one is, you know, taking that original, in, in its own way, it's a little bit of a Wrath of Khan thing, where it's taking that original episode and saying, but what happened after they left? Mm-hmm. And and I like that. You know, it, it's not just, oh, let's just do it again. Let's just go down to that planet and do the exact same thing again. It's it's what has changed as a result of their having been there, or what has changed since they were there. And And, you know, I like the aspect that they're going back to this planet and saying... You know, we know this exists, and it. You know, once we got it under control, it was a fun place to be. So let's go back there and have a vacation, and then they go back, and it's you know, it's it's Westworld. <laughs> yeah, my my problem with this one wasn't that it was a sequel. I thought it was quite an interesting idea to go back to the Shirley Planet because why would you not? It seemed like a before the invention of the holodeck, it seems like a really nice place to visit. My problem with this one was the the pacing was really lethargic, given that it's only 23 minutes. It's like you got Captain Kirk's log entry at the beginning, and then it felt like you had a freeze frame of the planet for five minutes before they actually beamed down. 
And it felt like the same back on the ship when Scotty was being hurled out of the orbit and everything. It felt like that should have been punchier and more fast-paced because you'd have all been thrown about the bridge and then the gravity was gone. And then there was this long, laborious shot of the Enterprise just crossing the screen for what felt like 20 minutes. And it's like, you people complain about Star Trek the motion picture. It is never as boring as some of this is. Yeah, but we've commented on that before, and it's kind of like to stretch out the animation, you know, to save money. It's like, yeah, let's just have this nice, beautiful shot of this ship just driving across to save time. But, okay, so when the gravity goes away, you're telling me a guy with three legs and three arms can't stay in his damn seat? <laughs> I I also find, I forgot what her name is, the, the Catwoman character. Imrest. Imrest. Yeah, I, I find the purring to be irritating. Yeah, I found it rather stimulating. It's weird. It's like <laughs> it's like the Enterprise computer is talking, but with a purr. Man, Odd. Eric could purr in my ear. Any well, yeah, uh, right now, a little creepy man. now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's dead, Dave. <laughs> it took the wrong turn. <laughs> They're all dead, Dave. <laughs> It took me a minute though because I thought you were doing 2001, but you know they're all dead, Dave. Kachansky, dead, Kachansky, Rimmer, dead, oh, Dave. Dead. They're all dead, Dave. Anybody who doesn't know what that is? Go watch Red Dwarf. Just go watch Red Dwarf anyway. Yeah. What's a Red Dwarf? I'm well, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. State, <laughs> but, uh, anyway. It's also a British sci-fi comedy series. It's a very, very small person who spends too long in the sun. I thought all s- British sci-fi was Doctor Who. No. No! I'm, oh, I'm just trolling Andy? I'm just trolling? Oh, it worked. I didn't know I was going to... I wounded him too deep. And yet again, we're avoiding talking about the episode. I don't know. I, I don't mind this episode. I just, I honestly, personally, for me, I didn't have a lot to say about it. It feels like there's an awful lot of it is retreading the original show before they actually get to the meat of the story. And the meat of the story is quite interesting. Like Paul said, what happened to that planet when the caretaker died? That's an interesting story. But it, it honestly, it just didn't feel like they had 23 minutes worth of story. No. And one of the problems we found with the other episodes is it felt like they'd wrote a live action episode and then had to cut it to fit the 25-minute time slot, or 23 minutes, however many minutes it is with that advert. And so some of those feel like they're a bit too fast and rushed in the story. Not the animation, because like Bill has pointed out, some of the animation is lethargic. But the story feels like it's been trimmed a bit much, where, where exploration of the ideas could have been a bit more drilled into. Which obviously I get, it's, it's not a 50-minute television episode, it's 23 minutes. But this one felt like they didn't have 23 minutes of story. And I think if you've not got 23 minutes of story, you've got a problem. Well, some of I the think... uh, uh, some of the things that they did, like the computer arms grabbing pe- pe- people's hands, like like I was reading up on uh, Memory Alpha, and it was saying like that that was some things that they wanted to do in the live action, but didn't have the the funding, the the capability. Um, so they kind of reused some of those ideas that Theodore Sturgeon had written into the original and put him in this episode and I've stopped the show no no I just quite, and, and DeForest Kelly's really good in this one did you think that like we said before sometimes the actors feel like they've 
they've not quite got the hang of voiceover animation. And certainly Shatner at the beginning of this one, he sounds like he's got a cold. Did anyone else think that? He sounds a little like, yeah. Yeah. like he was, oh, God, good log. It sounded like he had a really bad head cold. But McCoy's genuinely good in this. DeForest Kelly's very good in this one. DeForest Kelly's always good, though. Yeah, but in some of the other ones, I think his his inexperience at doing voiceover is shown. Or oh, the fact that they're not interacting has shown. Whereas in this one, I I felt his bits with Sulu especially were really good. I found it enjoyable to be <laughs> to zig when everyone else is <laughs> eggs. Well, I mean, yeah. it wasn't bad, but it's just like too many like little things kept taking me out of it like that. But maybe it's just because we're old. Well, for for me, first off, I, I like the idea of returning to this planet and tying it directly to the series. The planet itself was interesting. I, I, I found it a little odd that they're going on uh, leave and you see McCoy, Sulu, and Uhura. Well, where the hell is everybody else? Yeah. I mean, they can beam down, what, six people at a time? No, no, because that there was a one-off line because I think I was thinking the same thing because there was at least I think there was I thought they said that they couldn't reach did they say that they had returned all the other landing parties or there was something there's a, there's a line later on where they are they, they brought back the other parties when they lose contact but I still think when the landing party you'd send the most to save on the beaming we send whatever it is, six people down in a group, and then spread them out. But that would require more levels, literal levels of animation, more cells. That's why that's they try to limit that. That's why sometimes body parts go missing on the show. Or Sulu's in places he shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> Wearing like in this episode. Yes. <laughs> he's on the bridge, and he's down on the planet at the same time. He's very clever. He's a clone! I also found it interesting, um, right around the uh, Queen of Hearts attack, actually prior to it, McCoy arrives at a large mansion. To me, to me, that mansion is Tara from Gone with the Wind, and I felt it tied into the whole Uhura being perceived as a slave. Oh, yeah, we haven't even hit on that. Yeah, a little on the nose there. It was kind of like, ooh, a southern mansion? Ooh, well... With a southerner, no less. It is 1973, so it's like... Mm. Um, I also I, think, I, I also thought it was very cool when things start to go haywire, and, you know, uh, we're losing communication, we can't get the tr- transport, let's send down a shuttle. And then they show you why that doesn't work, as opposed to, we're just not going to mention that we have shuttles. The garage door's stuck. Right, right. And they didn't have the AA batteries to put them <laughs> uh, I, I could personally do without having Uhura sing. I, I don't know, you know, I don't mean to be disrespectful to Nichelle Nichols, and I, I really enjoy her on the show, but I don't, I could do without the singing. I think it's because... I think it's because she's live... Gene Roddenberry. That's why know. she sings a lot. I don't know. I I've never had a problem with her singing, but when she sings in the animated series, there's no excuse the pun animation to her face <laughs> to convey the 
the emotion of singing, it's just like her mouth moving. And there's no, you don't get the extra component of the live action. Yeah, I, I don't mind the singing. Don't bother me. No. People should sing more. It just feels indulgent to me. I don't know. Although, I should point out, the light bulb went off over my head when watching this, when Spock mentions Alice in Wonderland, or Through the Looking Glass, and says, my mother was fond of it. And then that comes mm-hmm. back on Discovery. Wow. It's all connected. It's all connected, like they actually did watch some of the Star Trek at, shows that preceded the show. Episode. Yeah. <laughs> I got a kick out of the signs, the, the underground entrance that might as well have said, <laughs> this is a trap, keep going. Gotham City, 14 miles. Right. The... Uh, <laughs> Pterodactyl attack, and of course the phases are once again useless, which leads to my argument they should be bringing handguns with them. The attack by the giant cat, a reference to Cat's Paw. Only better. Only better. Uh, to reference call, the call back to McCoy's death and shore leave at the hands of the night. He got better. But, what? so, well, you know what, I'll just let the logic go, because it's like, if the planet's trying to kill them, why would it save them? Well, I guess, I'm going to get to that in a second. Okay, uh, all right. When they suggest that, you know, who's more qualified to, you know, be the bait, and Spock basically says, me, because I'm smarter than you. He's the <laughs> master of baiting. Yeah, you, you just know in the live action episode that wouldn't have that wouldn't have flew. Shatner would have been a no. I think it should be me. But in the animated one, he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Your argument makes sense. I'm going to make the same whatever. My favorite scene is right here now, where the, they're running for the trap door, and you see uh, Spock followed by Kirk, followed by Sulu and McCoy, and Scooby's I, behind and them too. It, right, that's what I saw. I saw then Scooby. And <laughs> Zoinks! Zoinks! We gotta get a Scooby snack! We gotta get in that trapdoor, Scoob! Okay. <laughs> now, I, I have a question. They, they, they pull Spock in because they think he's dying, correct? Yeah. To fix him. So if the dragon kills Sulu and McCoy, won't they just be brought in too? Or am I missing something here? Well, oh, he's a dragon. <laughs> Yeah, Where's Mr. Rock? But it would hurt more. It's like well, tearing your heart out with a spoon. It hurts more. Well, sometimes you got to take one for the team. <laughs> uh, let's see. Just take one for the team, Sulu. Go on out there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be we'll be right behind you. Yes. Yeah. Put on uh, this red shirt. And go out there. <laughs> we could do the red wall thing, Bell. We could do that thing where River would be at the back and then he'd run to the front and he'd run back. <laughs> the back because it's the guy at the back who always gets picked off <laughs> and we get the multiple callback of Kirk talking the machine just not to death this time but into explaining why he does not need a spaceship <laughs> and I, I felt like that was the biggest weakness this episode you know Andy, Andy you talked earlier about the pacing and how they did things I thought that scene could have used a lot more just logic and and emotion to it than it had uh you know that that really is the core of the episode when when 
you know, the, the machine explains what it's thinking and, 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 and cor- corrects it, uh, course corrects it, I guess. Uh, I think that could have been a little bit more. There, there could have been some sort of tenseness added, something that's going on if he doesn't get this, get his point across in a certain amount of time or just something to give that a little bit more teeth and to make it feel like it really mattered that he did what he did. They used the, the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy ending. Kirk talked it to death. Yeah. He bored it. Yes. <laughs> I honestly yeah. think James T. Kirk could make a Keurig turn coffee even into water. <laughs> I mean, how many computers did he knock out? He knocked out Landu? He knocked out the M5? Um, the robots uh, from Bud's... Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, Bud's right. Woman. Yeah. Wasn't there the one where uh, they, it was too? It was a probe and an alien thing. And it it, changed Jack talks that one to death, doesn't he? Yeah. Changed yeah. thing. Yeah. Jackson Roy Kirk. That's just. So I mean, look, there's precedent. Your Honor, there's precedent that Kirk has <laughs> this power. He could confound Mister Data. I'd watch that episode. <laughs> They, they should have had him, uh, what was it, Measure of a Man. He should have been up against uh, Riker. <laughs> I submit to you, Mr. Data, that it is illogical that you think yourself a sentient life form where you have an off switch. But then all Data have to, has to say is like, well, I had sex with Lieutenant Yard. He's like, I rest. Well, yep, never mind, he's a man. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, I haven't even done that. <laughs> the yeah, machines. He's got me. And as he walks away, he turns to Riker and says, Get a shave, hippie. <laughs> Any more oh, notes on this one? Let, let Dr. McCoy have a beard as well. So. <laughs> that was a great beard. That was an amazing beard. With a hubcap around his neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, ultimately, I think this is a more successful sequel than More Troubles, More Troubles where they really did feel like all they were doing there was rehashing the first one, but with a glomer in it. This one did at least feel, after the first five minutes, that it was taking the story forward. All right, what happened to the show Leave Planet after we left? So, yeah. So, you know. And I did enjoy it. I think it's perfectly fine. You just got to remember, if you go there, you know, don't think of like, oh, wow, this reminds me of that movie, uh, Camp Crystal Lake. Suddenly you'll have a visitor. Or I don't think it's. I, I feel like that's not possible. Just oh, I'm going to control and make sure I don't think of anything dangerous. How do you do that? Then Mr. State Puffed arrives. Unless unless I get you know Spock to do some sort of mind meld, like uh, in you know when when they were at the OK Corral. Spectre of the gun. Spectre of the gun. Yeah. The only other note I've got is the the funny alien robot things behind Kirk and Spark. Did they not remind anybody else of the alien warships from War of the Worlds? Yeah, the nineteen fifty three yeah. one. The three three like yep the tripods. tripods. Yeah. Yep. Nineteen fifty three. They experienced a War of the Worlds. Are you doing the TV like show? show? Yeah. yeah. With, uh, 
Common bacteria stopped the aliens, but it didn't kill them. Instead, they lapsed into a state of suspended animation. Now the aliens are back, more deadly than ever before. Why do I remember opening saga cells from 30 years TV shows, but I can't remember my GCSE maths? Because <laughs> they were good. That's why. Hmm. I often thought if the questions on my papers at school been right, now write the introduction to Book Rogers in the 25th century. I'd have got A's. Hey, you're two steps ahead of Bill. He doesn't remember how old his kids are. Stop it. How old are they, Bill? 1921. No, 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 19. The average age of the man serving in Vietnam was 19. See, no, I remember no, no, once, once they're over, <laughs> once they're over twenty-one, you don't have to remember their ages anymore. <laughs> oh, good, because I can't because I can't remember the oldest age. <laughs> the oldest. Then you start right? to forget your age. I guess we should rate it. <laughs> don't sound so excited. Well, we're so far off track. It's like let's 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 put this out of its misery. Don't sound so excited. Being held by you isn't enough to get me excited. It might be. I don't know. Is that time for anything else? Are you doing moonlighting? No, I'm doing oh, Empire Strikes oh, 5. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. David? I, moonlighting was racing. I, oh, I found all the moonlighting on Archive.org as well. I love <laughs> Archive.org. I haven't watched that in years. Yeah. I'm Maddie Hayes, and I'm David Addison. Toon Trek, a moonlighting podcast. <laughs> I so rating this, this one. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Actually, I quite enjoyed this I, one. I, I had just... a lot of fun with this one. I liked the callbacks. To me, it made sense. I thought it was the not-too-subtle stuff with the horror. And uh, it reminded me of Scooby-Doo. So I enjoy it. <laughs> I gave it a 4.5. It's one of my more favorite ones, to be honest. Uh, Dave, have you got the Blu-rays? Is, is that quote on the back of them? <laughs> it needs to be. It needs to be now. I'll have to look. If not, I'll uh, put it there myself on my copies. Yeah. I'm going to put it on mine, yeah. Reminds me of Scooby-Doo. They pulled the mask off the computer. It was the caretaker all along. He looks like Scotty. It was Mr. Ataz all along. (laughs) (laughs) You think about it, Mission Impossible was only Scooby-Doo, wasn't it? Because they just pull masks off people every week. Oh, Oh, yeah, true. And the end of Star Trek VI is Scooby-Doo as well, really, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. And Valeris would have gotten away with it if not for those pesky, almost Excalibur, Excelsior crew. Dave gave this a 4.5, and... I also enjoyed this episode. Like I said, I'm a little bit of a sucker for a sequel, and I thought conceptually uh, it, it had some good thoughts or thought-provoking ideas that were in there. Uh, but in, in execution, I found it a little tedious going through it, frankly. So while I'm going to give it an above-average rating, I do not think it's like superlative, and I'm just going to say a 3.0. Yeah, I'm going to go three as well. I, I did. I enjoyed it. I just I think the problems with that I have with it, like the lethargic pacing and the fact that five minutes is spent recapping the original episode and then the rushed ending that did need a more logical explanation. But it was it was entertaining. I wasn't bored by it. 
I guess I'll go next. Uh, so here's the thing. I, this already had an immediate half-point lead for me because it was the first animated episode I saw. So already it had a little bit of a sentimental value, and I'll, I'll give a little credence to that. I was prepared to give it a two, but now that I look at it as, as Scooby-Doo in space, I went up, <laughs> and it, average, it actually brings it up to a three. I'm going to give it uh, three picnics with a dragon. We didn't even <laughs> mention the dragon. He's curled up there. on the. Well, no, we did mention the dragon, but we didn't mention that they had a picnic with Alice in Wonderland and a dragon at the end with the... Uh, that was uh, was Uhura in, in that too, or was it uh, just? It was definitely Bones. Oh yes, it was Bones at Sulu. I, yes, I think it's right. more likely that in Kirk's fantasy it would be Daenerys and her dragons. Oh, well, oh, is it really just limited to Kirk? <laughs> A good fight, well put. I am Kirk Drogo. I am Kira. <laughs> So that's what we all thought of this episode. But what did Blaine say? What did Blaine say? What did Blaine say? Oh, tell us, tell us, Blaine. Oh, what did you say? Incoming transmission. Here it is, Once Upon a Planet. It's another sequel to an original series episode, but one with a throwaway line that would be picked up by the first season of Discovery. Amanda Grayson's favorite book was Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. That and the sequel, Alice's Adventures Through the Looking Glass, are both enjoyable and I have featured them on my own Bedtime in the Public Domain podcast. But I think my favorite published work by Lewis Carroll is his proof of the Rocher-Capelli theorem in linear algebra stating that a system of linear equations with n variables has a solution if and only if the rank of its coefficient matrix is equal to the rank of its augmented matrix, which is published under his real name, Charles Litwidge Dawson. Anyway, back to Star Trek. It seems that the Shoreleave planet has been actively hostile for some time, killing more than one ship full of visitors. How is it that none of them were missed? Hey, have you heard from the USS Inconsequential lately? They haven't checked in since they went to that Shoreleave planet five months ago. You know, the one that used to try to kill its visitors. Eh, I'm sure they're fine. They're probably just too busy enjoying themselves to send us the reports. Once again, it seems like Kirk talked to Planet into completely changing the way it operates, and should probably check back more often to see what's happening. On the plus side, the shift to animation made it possible to more reasonably represent what this planet would actually be like, including a rabbit-sized white rabbit. The original series did well with its budget, but some things just couldn't be done properly in 1966, especially on a television budget. Of course, this has its own visible budget issues, like Sulu being on the planet and the bridge simultaneously, and crew members wearing the wrong color shirts because one character's head was stuck on another character's previously animated body. All in all, on a script level, this is classic Star Trek. The filmation budget just didn't let that show through as well as it could have. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I certainly agree with the uh, the mathematical equation part. That was a, that was a page turner. <laughs> I, I I have no choice but to agree because I didn't understand a word of it. <laughs> like many things, I assume Blaine is right. Yes, I, I assume he's right, but that's <laughs> that's besides the point. <laughs> uh, it definitely uh, it was something that I do not understand. Like, I feel like crickets could have been chirping at that point. 
with the rest of us. I think the most, for the most part, you know, Blaine seems to agree with our thought process on it. Uh, and I didn't really see anything. Uh, you know, he commented on the budget, and you know, so so did we. Uh, I guess the you know he mentioned the uh, animation making it possible, and I think that would be probably the dragon would be the key, biggest key to that. Because could you imagine if they tried to do that the dragon in live action on the Star Trek budget in the 1960s? Mm. What we would have gotten, it would it would have looked like, yeah, it would have looked horrible. <clears throat> so I guess that's it uh, for Once Upon a Planet. But what are we doing next time? That is an exceptionally good question. What's the next episode? <laughs> next time. Much passion. Much passion. Oh, thank you. Next time, an all-new episode of Dune Trek. Harry Mudd returns in yet another sequel to an original series episode. Mud's passion. My. Did you turn into Sulu at the end there? Oh, my. What would Mud's passions be? Those three prostitute women from his first episode. I'll wager... I think we should be very proud of ourselves that it only took nine episodes for us to start calling this podcast by its actual name. Because <laughs> we didn't know what we were going to call it. <laughs> I don't know that we still do, to be fair. But okay. Right, I guess that's it for this time, and we'll see you all next time, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Kapla. Essay. Toon Trek is based upon Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry, and is a Tutu Freaks presentation. It's hosted by Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, Dave Pascarella, Bill Robinson, and produced and guest-hosted on occasion by J. David Wheaton. All music and clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This is a review show and as such protected under fair use. Yeah, let's go with that. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Toon Trek. Will I dream, Dave? Sorry, you've been unplugged. You oh, the week is like goodbye. Open, open the pod bay doors, Dave. Bombay doors open. <laughs>